Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. This is another Tactical Tuesday, short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice to build your clean energy business or career. One of the things I want to challenge those of you who are purely looking at commercial buildings as an opportunity to explore commercial industrials, we call it C&I Solar, as a solar opportunity, and it is a numerous, virtually untapped market compared to the number of commercial rooftops available, there is a broader and bigger opportunity with regards to the building envelope that I see most folks not paying attention to. You see, there's a whole element of the building envelope that has to do with passive solar technology. And passive and active solar don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's not either or. Today, we're going to explore the opportunity to incorporate them both and how that is actually the diamond in the rough going unnoticed by many practitioners, especially those of you that are only focused on putting solar panels on as many CNI rooftops as possible. To help us navigate that conversation is a guy by the name of Grant Grable. He works at a company called Acuity Brands. You probably have heard of one of their products called Sun Optics. If you've been in the commercial building space for very long at all, he's a daylighting expert. If these are the kinds of conversations that really get you going, you are in the right place. And I would encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to Suncast so that you would get our next episode dropped right into your phone notifications feed, as so many of our subscribers already do. And that's how you will be able to tap into more than 500 such conversations from industry founders and leaders on the front lines of the clean energy transition and grow your own business and career, as I've promised. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I said and promised, we are going to dive into an area of conversation. I would suggest most of you, if you're listening and you haven't spent a lot of time in energy efficiency or building envelope management, are relatively unschooled in. Well, today's guest is very schooled in, and he's kind of somewhat of a superstar in the daylighting sector. His name is Grant Grable, as I said before. And uh, I want to thank our friend Tom Desimone, mutual friend in the roofing industry, many, many years for making the intro to Grant. And without further ado, I'll invite Grant to the stage. Welcome to Suncast. Thanks, Nico. Look forward to being here. You have a tremendous background and uh, deep understanding of how buildings work and, and what makes us work better. We'll get into all of that, but I want to start with something that probably is a niche conversation for those in the solar sector. I found it really compelling. It is something you call the 330-300 rule. Would you take some time to explain what that is and why it should be important for anyone that's approaching a building owner? Sure, absolutely. I, you know, this is something that really is an invention of mine. It's actually been promoted by Jones Lang LaSalle and even NEMA in the fact and what the 330-300 rule means is that if you look at commercial industrial buildings, on average, they're spending about $3 per square foot for total energy usage in that space. 
they're also then on the 30 point, they're spending roughly $30 per square foot for their cost of uh, their triple net lease or even their mortgage on that property. But they're spending roughly $300 per square foot for the human capital or the people that actually inhabit that building. So in what Jones Lang LaSalle and Nima and everybody have started to document is the fact that in doing energy efficiency measures that actually increase productivity, if you increase productivity by 1% in those spaces, you can pay for all that energy. 1% of that $300 cost per square foot is that $3 cost for all your energy. And in many of these different things, and there's great books out there even written there was a book written in the 90s by Dr. Joseph Rahm. He was the former assistant secretary of energy and the head of renewable energy. It's a great book called Cool Companies. If you, if you look out there, it's not in publication, but he really documents the fact that businesses that focus on productivity-based energy efficiency measures actually find a unique competitive advantage. And that's where that, that is always one of those ones that we like to promote, the 330-300. There's a great book. Um, Cool companies. Uh, I have one in my backpack at all times. Uh, it, it was public, published in the 90s, and it it was before LEED and Green Building, USGBC. It was before any of the things that we talk about today is kind of standard. It, it was just documenting what the biggest businesses were already doing and focusing on energy efficiency measures that had a productivity focus and how it became a great competitive advantage. I love it. I just I just bought a used copy on Amazon. I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> yeah, great. I'll link to it as well. I hadn't heard about it, nor Dr. Joseph Rahm. Uh, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be in life in the 90s. Um, and you were very much at the core of the emerging building efficiency industry. Yeah, I was a I'm definitely an older unit. So uh, been uh, most of my career been focused on and, and kind of went off on a path. And what I really, I started in energy management systems actually in the okay. 90s. And, and what I found is that most of the people that were operating and even owning buildings didn't look at energy savings as an opportunity. They looked at it as just, hey, my energy is going to go up and I'm going to look at it as an expense. But energy is, is, a, is a profit center. <laughs> you know, it's a loss profit center. And there's other great people around the energy efficiency space that are also very big in the green energy space. Another one is Amory Lovins. And uh, I go back to his, his main focus. He says, the first effect you should be looking at a building is the megawatts you can affect. That idea of megawatts made a big difference uh, in my early career as well. It's the energy equivalent of reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Let's unpack a bit more this 330-300 rule for a moment, because it's fascinating. When you think about the magnitude of what you said, a lot of us are focused on, also I like analogies, right? Or mental models. As a building owner, going solar without having done any building envelope management or daylighting is the equivalent of literally stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. Exactly. Because- $300 per square foot of your budget is spent on human usage of the facility. Optimizing that usage, increasing productivity by only 1% adds $3 per square foot of advantage. So you reduce your overall cost per square foot to 297 by one percentage point in improvement in, in productivity. Now, my question to you is, I presume there are studies that underscore how this was calculated, but what are examples of increased productivity by 1%? So the folks can recognize or rationalize like how powerful it is. What's the average increase in productivity, for example, of adding 
daylighting to a building in a percentage basis? Well, substantial in so many different ways, and I can attack it from multiple different building uses. Um, one of the one of the big ones that you see productivity and directly around human productivity is the effect on daylighting in schools. Okay, and there's so many uh, reports that are out there in publication that really kind of show that if you take a student and you place them in a daylit space versus a non-daylit space. On average, they can be as much as 20% better in math, 26% better in reading, have less absenteeism. And so, you know, obviously the, the human mind and even science says test that theory. And so there's actual studies where other students have been taken out of daylit space and shown where their productivity went down, their, their grades went down and, their, and they had more absenteeism. So that's one around that. One of the other ones, and actually there's a great study in, in the Cool Companies book that we already talked about that goes to daylighting in retail sales, and it was around Walmart. So Walmart is the world's largest user of daylighting. In fact, there's videos you go back into the mid-2000s even where, where Walmart, this is really even before LED reduced some of the watts per square foot, but they used to say that where they have well over 5,000 and actually approaching 6,000 Walmart supercenters around the world that use daylighting as one of their main energy efficiency measures. And they show, and in fact, they say right in, in a video from their lead person, and of course, I'm drawing a blank on his name during the day, but it, it really talks about that, you know, what happens in a daylit Walmart is the sun comes up on a bright sunny day, we're able to dim down until our lights shut off, and it saves us about $50 million a year. So it's kind of a big deal, and that comes right out of their mouth. Um, even today, if you reduce the watts per square foot down to a third of that, you're still talking around $15 million a year just from shutting lights off in a space. And what's what's interesting is so in the, in the Cool Companies book is not only did they document, they got into daylighting as a fluke. Uh, their first Energy Star store for Walmart was put together in Lawrence, Kansas in 1993. And it was a design that was going to put in the latest in HVAC technology lighting everything and daylighting was part of it and of course as we get into built environment for many people that are involved in new construction so the value engineering phase gets in there and of course value de-engineering they start to take out all the expensive things that they thought were expensive to bring down that first cost they were going to take half the skylights reduce them to by 50 percent, and then spread them throughout the whole roof and the architect said don't do that because it'll ruin the effect for the lighting we're trying to do so what they talked them into doing was only doing half the store and all the energy management systems and the point of sale systems go back to Bentonville, Arkansas. So they move into the store and yes, they start seeing the lights are off, they're saving energy. But again, the POS system, the point of sale system, they started seeing that the SKUs on that side of the store were having a marked increase to sales. And they're like, this is a fluke. It can't be. The only thing that's different on that building is daylighting. They picked up the merchandise, flipped it, and it's in that book. They saw the same positive correlation to increase the sales. No way. And in fact, there's documents written by the California Energy Commission and multiple different people because they all wanted to disprove it. That shows in the California Energy Commission's report on daylighting in retail sales is that by the most statistical average, not only does it save energy per square foot, but by a greater than 99% statistical accuracy, the predicted increase to sales is at least 19 times greater and more likely 45 to 100 times greater than any energy savings you'll see in the building. 
So there's all sorts of different data points around daylighting. And one thing that for years I've been doing uh, daylighting, been around daylighting for more than 25 years, solar has been around at the same type of era. And it always was, hey, listen, when a solar integrator wants to get involved, it's like, well, we got to get the skylights off because it's going to ruin the array. And yet, you know, side by side, this happens all the time where there are skylights on a project going to go in and there's solar panels going to go in. And if you combine the two of them and you look at the design in the very beginning, you not only can take out the benefits of what daylighting will do to the interior space and as well as provide energy efficiency, but also on the backside, you'll have the right layout you need, the right area for when you're doing your runs for electrical. All these different things can be done. And it is a benefit in multiple different ways to the building owner or operator that's going to use that building. Yeah. And we've both seen a scenario where solar installers will say to the building owner, look, we can maximize your roof space, but we've got to build up a racking system and rack out over, kind of rack over these. You'll still get some light at certain times of the day under the backside of the array. Uh, (laughs) What sort of Frankenstein stories do you have from there? Well, one of the biggest Frankenstein is that it's always people are not looking at the building holistically. They're looking at first cost buildings or even in retrofit, we now want to put in solar or we're looking at daylighting. And it's the same thing. Either or, right. Either or, as opposed to what if we looked at the building holistically? Yeah. And again, this is passive solar. Daylighting is passive solar. I'm here to tell you as a person that's been around skylighting and even manufacturing skylights that skylights don't save energy. Lighting control saves energy. Right. I'm here to tell you a solar panel doesn't save energy. Solar panel produces energy, but if you don't have an inverter hooked to it, it's not going to do anything for you. Yeah. It's the same thing is, is that what, what we actually note is that daylight and natural light is what every electrical light is designed to show what's its color rendition right? and it's Kelvin temperature so that how close it is to sunlight and that the eye is made for sunlight. And so If you look at the fact that the majority of the energy that comes from this great nuclear explosion in the sky, the sun for us is produced at Earth in a light form, we only need a very small percentage of that roof to daylight that space properly for as many hours per day as your main illumination source. And you do it from the roof in in these mainly the single story buildings or top floors. But it's, it's such a great thing. But on the backside of all that, you know, the productivity that daylighting produces, along with the fact that you can shut off lights in a building for seven to 10 hours, you have multiple different facets of value that come as a solar application. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast and You've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Heck, Solve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. 
Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast, moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations, our community involved in conversations as varied as powering Australia, to green hydrogen, to crypto, and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus Where to Party At channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community, and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside. You brought up Walmart. Obviously, Walmart is probably, I would argue, they're definitely the largest Synoptics customer. They're probably the largest daylighting customer in the world. But they're also among the largest rooftop solar deployment companies in the world in terms of buildings that they've outfitted with solar. One of the things that I've highlighted here a number of times in past conversations is how Walmart is driving towards an overall ESG, environmental sustainability and governance targets as a publicly traded company. And that has a ripple, a knock-on effect, ripple effect through their supply chain. I'd love to hear how daylighting in particular as a strategy or a category tracks back to overall ESG goals for Walmart and other, and other companies. Sort of what are your thoughts on how those overarching ESG metrics impact building owners' thought processes with regards to passive solar at the same time they're considering active solar? You know, ESG and the latest is really being driven, as you know, from the financial side. Uh, the largest building owners and and financiers uh, are really promoting this as a, a key initiative. And it really goes back to sustainability. But when you look at green energy and energy efficiency, those fall into the, uh, the bucket of the E or the environmental impact that you have uh, yeah. in the space as, as a business solar, geothermal, wind, all those, and even daylighting have an effect through energy efficiency or green energy production. However, what daylighting has that none of the green energy production has the ability to do is affect human productivity and the human aspect. Our, our circadian rhythm or our biological clocks are all based around the sun. When we wake up, when we feel like we need to go to bed, we're affected by light and light actually affects your circadian rhythm. The thing that daylighting does in a daylight space by providing productivity, we actually are able to check boxes under the social side or the S version of the ESG initiative. So daylighting has that added value that it brings energy efficiency as well as human productivity. It also brings benefits uh, to, uh, again, affecting the uh, circadian rhythm. Mm. It also brings value in the fact that human uh, health and all that is also affected. So it's also a great impact to the workers that are using that space. So a business has also looked at it. What are they doing for their employees? Grant, what I'm hearing through the conversation is uh, sort of this trifecta, this three-legged stool of overall what I think you often refer to as the total solar roof solution, where you can combine passive solar daylighting with active solar PV. And so then you've got 
energy efficiency, green energy production, and the value that the net zero lighting and high performance brings to human productivity, right? The three of those together really are highly impactful to the 330, 300 rule by improving the overall well-being of those inside of the space, not just the bottom line of the, of the operating expenses of that building. What is something that you think most people listening, even if they were aware of everything we've talked about so far, are perhaps unaware of with regards to energy efficiency opportunities connected with building management and optimization? Well, I, I think the, the biggest one is the Energy Performance Act of 2006 had mm. a tax incentive called the 179D, and it is energy efficiency tax incentives for building envelope. And a lot of people aren't aware that this is out there. It, it was actually all the way back to when uh, EPAC or Energy Performance Act came out in 2006. Yeah. And about 2013, it, it disappeared for a while. Well, during COVID, with all of us focused on other things, Congress actually brought it back and made it permanent. And so what the EPAC 179D energy efficiency tax incentive does is provides up to $1.80 per square foot, and that's for the entire building square foot, to be able to affect energy efficiency from roofing, HVAC, as well as lighting. And so when you look at the opportunity to be able to utilize daylighting as a, a technique, we often in today are used, and, and this is where even roofing manufacturers aren't aware of this, is that mm. things like Energy Star or reflective roofing systems that can lower temperatures around the rooftop units, HVAC, have a great incentive, at least of the roofing product for 60 cents. But most people think, well, you know, that reflective roofing, it doesn't work in northern climates where they say this sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a native Californian who lived 18 years in Illinois around Chicago. And I'm telling you, I've been on a roof in Chicago in the middle of the summer on a black EPDM roof and seen 200 plus degree temperatures. Yeah. It's not so much the heat transfer through the insulation. It's more about the heat produced around a HVAC unit that SEER rating is actually measured or the efficiency rating of that unit is measured at 85 degrees ambient temperature. So you put superheated air that you're doing for air intake around these units and you're going to have less efficient equipment. So that value to effect just by reflective roofing systems, HVAC effect, and then putting daylighting in. Across the board, if you look at the energy measures, what you can do, especially warehouse, distribution centers, uh, retail space with daylighting, you can look to capture from that 60 cent value to 180. And if you're a 100,000 square foot building, that's $180,000 in energy tax incentive that's mm -hmm. available. So there's, there's, that is the one thing that a lot of people are unaware that is permanent part of the tax code as an incentive. How do building owners take advantage of these incentives? Uh, and in particular, I'm wondering, is it broken down by categories? What does the building owner need to know in terms of how to stack the benefits? Yeah, it's, it, it is broken down by roofing as one 60 cent column uh, HVAC. And each one of them, based on the building usage, has a percentage of efficiency by using uh, a technology to reduce I believe roofing uh, is somewhere around 15% efficiency over the baseline standard, which today is typically something that's going to be a, uh, a modified bitumen type uh, white, white granular type roof. Okay. Now the second question, because if it's broken down by, by category, each category has different restrictions or you know baseline standards. 
who provides these services to the building owner to understand these benefits? Is this something that you see roofers and solar providers ultimately doing in-house or relying on third-party consultants to, to help with? Typically, third party has been out there. What's interesting is it is pretty cut and dry in what you have to show for efficiency and actually using things like in the daylighting space that we can use around daylighting. We do uh, a program that's been around for years called SkyCalc, and we can show uh, what the building performance is before and after and what the efficiencies would come and put that up against the calculation and be able to have that as a document that's out there. There's programs such as eQuest. There's also things on the HVAC side that a Train 7 program being able to run uh, around that would be able to produce a document. It, it really is a pretty simple tax deduction, and it's an immediate opportunity. And it's amazing to me that even people that produce these types of equipment, uh, when I talk to them and I, I talk to roofing manufacturers and people out there, like, oh, I didn't even know about that. And it's a permanent part of the tax code. Permanent, permanent. Well, and, and even when that even when that came out, I mean, I, I know in the world of, uh, you know, what's going on with all the incentives around uh, sustainability and, and uh, ESG and everything. But there are so many incentives that have been put into play in the last 15 years, let alone the last two years that, you know, people really need to educate themselves on. Yeah. And that's why consultants have daily bread. That is why yeah. it does often fall to uh, building operators to turn to consultants who help them sort of part, separate the wheat from the chef. Uh, I know one thing that the daylighting industry and the broader building envelope industry is grateful for are people like you, Grant, who've been at it for more than two decades and who are subject matter experts. Certainly here on Suncast, we now get to benefit from that deep well of expertise. I, I didn't know 179D exists, and I would posit that now hundreds of others in, of solar warriors and clean tech champions out there I'm going to benefit from it and put it in their tool belt as well. I want to take a moment and say thank you for taking of your time and generously educating us on the 330-300 rule and on the tax code for 179D implications for ESG. My mind is expanded and uh, have you to thank for it. Oh, my pleasure and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and uh, I look forward to uh, people that are interested in diving in deeper on how passive and active solar is such a great opportunity today. Well, Grant, if folks wanted to learn more about you or connect with you, how would you direct them to do that? Uh, definitely get in contact with me and, and actually my team. Uh, my email is grant.grable, G-R-A-B as in boy, L-E, at acuitybrands.com. You can check out our website at sunoptics.com. Google my name and, and daylighting and you'll find a, quite a few articles out there over the years. Fascinating one, brother. I'll have you back again as our subject matter expert on daylighting and building envelope. But I would encourage uh, everyone else out here to check out Sun Optics and the work that Grant and his team have done. Lots and lots of resources they've put out in the world to help you be smarter and help your clients be smarter as well about how they use energy and optimize human productivity. Thanks, Grant. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Nico. Take care. All right, Solar Warriors. Well, there you have it. If you didn't know, now you know the 330-300 rule. How cool is that? I really am grateful for the generosity of Grant, an OG from daylighting and building envelope management to come share from his wisdom on the impact of human capital that daylighting passive solar can bring and how you should be adding it to your toolkit. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't know about 179D, we've got some resources over on our blog at mysuncast.com. You click on the episodes tab. We'll also be linking of course, in the show notes and uh, in the LinkedIn post 
to this episode so that you could leave your thoughts and comments of how this episode resonated with you. And if you want to chatter about it, or if you want to meet Grant and a number of other OG Building Envelope and Solar Warriors that are in our tribe, you could join our community and tap into the resource that is Resource Labs. You can find out more by going to mysuncast.com forward slash community. Of course, it's right there in the header of our website as well. Join the community. And that is our private Discord community that allows you to commune with us, to ask questions, and even to get early content that we publish in there before we push it out to the Suncast feed. We have regular roundtable discussions and lots and lots and lots of side discussions and interest groups for you to plug into. That's Resource Labs powered by Suncast. You can find it at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Thank you for stopping by. I hope that you feel equipped now to grow in your clean energy career and accelerate your business efforts. I'd love it if you would take a moment, if this has been useful for you to go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and leave us a five-star rating and an excellent enthusiastic review so that others can find Suncast and grow themselves the way you have here today. Special thank you, of course, to our sponsors who help make this show free and accessible to you. You can find out more at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. See all of the links to their offers, demos, cool benefits, etc. And that's how you could learn how to partner with us here on Suncast as well and reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.